Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Margaret, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. We are also excited because Clemson won the <laughs> national championship. You couldn't wait until we got into, through our intro? <laughs> Sorry. we got well, to tell people this. about the podcast. Well, true. We do have podcasts out there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just getting ahead of myself. We have podcasts out there up every week exclusively on Fridays, and uh, it's a great way to listen to the Money Doctors here. Um, get us on iTunes. You can yeah. get us on our website, right? Yeah, for those of you that are not Clemson fans, you may not want to listen to this one in the future. So, uh, But, uh, no, it is a good way of listening to it, Steve. The, the uh, moneymd.net website has the link to the podcast, and uh, we can go back and listen to this show next January because my guess is, is you guys will not be in the national championship game next year. I don't know. Two <clears> in a row. That's a great start, John. <laughs> you know? a pretty good trend. I think I'll be listening to this show every week. Yeah. So so Clemson gets their due. They had a phenomenal – what a phenomenal game. One of the better games I've ever seen in college. Um, you know, guess, and Deshaun yeah. Watson, I mean, he, he should have won the Heisman. You, you know, I don't know why they give I, it so early. They ought to go through the bowl games and the playoff games. Seems like they would wait. Because he know, would definitely win it I mean, I think he would win it now. Now after that game and after how we beat Ohio State, yeah. um, it just goes to show. I mean, a, a great quarterback makes all the difference. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, you know, I mean, we're not giving a post game show here, but you know, I think any team, any NFL team that needs a quarterback, if they get a chance to pick pick up Deshaun, I think they're crazy not to pick him up. Yeah, you know? I agree. He's a leader. He is absolutely leader. He just threaded the needle with those passes yeah. and just, just picked them apart over time. Against one of the best Alabama defenses, what they were saying going into the game. Right. But, man, what a what right. a, what a a win. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm a, I'm a positive uh, loser over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, you know, for those of you listening that don't know, John's a, 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 a game South, Carolina, South Carolina, Gamecock, right? South Carolina graduate and uh, is an MBA from there and uh, – you know they they're respectable. They had their five years. They they took us to task for five. They years did. In a they row. did. So I'm 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 paying that for is, it now. That is long in the rearview mirror. It my is friend. long. Long is. in the rearview mirror. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, geez. I mean yeah, we're gloating all week here. We're on cloud yes, nine. Yes, we are. He's here. got orange He's on. You know, and, and, uh, and I'm gonna be wearing orange all week. By the way, <clears> yeah, I, I've good. decided that I'm gonna wear something Clemson, something orange all week. Long. I need to wear Just, some sunglasses because it's pretty bright. <laughs> I have quite a few things in my closet, you know, because we had our client appreciation dinner theme that, yeah. that had football as the theme. So I bought a whole bunch of Clemson stuff just so I could yeah. kind of kind of uh, turn up the heat on you a little bit during yeah. that. Go check out our Facebook page, uh, MoneyMD, and exactly. we have some we have some pictures to prove a little bit of example the obnoxious well, orange over here. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, I'm not really the obnoxious fan generally. No, but you're not. You're not. I mean, you're, come you're, on. You're, it's been 35 years. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was a freshman at Clemson when we won the national championship back in '81, and you know there was no feeling like that being a freshman at college. I mean, you can imagine how exciting mm-hmm. that was, and. I just thought we'd be doing it again in, you know, five years or yeah, something. Yeah, it's tough. It was amazing. It is tough. And over time, it's amazing how hard that is. Yep. 
Um, and your hat's got to be off to what um, what. Dabo. Um, da- I mean, Dabo. Well, your hat's also got to be off to what Alabama's done. Yeah, well, they've Saban. got a great... I mean, <clears throat> it's unbelievable, really, what they've done. Yeah, and, you know, like you're, you know, put an analogy here, having a great quarterback for a football team makes all the difference. Having a great quarterback for your finances yes, also it does. is important. Yeah, like so that you, transition? Are, you, are you saying you're ready to move on, I'm John? I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, this is such a great topic. I just wanted to keep <laughs> on it. But, uh, yeah, we can move on here, but um, – yeah, let's hats off to Clemson this Yeah, week. that's let's right. Just, they did fantastic. Let's just give them the dues, you know. Wow. Oh, what a great game that was. We're excited. But, yeah, we do have a great show lined up. Just speaking of which, John, you know, we're going to talk about the stock market here. And, you know, we're off to a pretty good start for, mm-hmm. for 2017. Um, market's up a couple percent um, kind of overall in a diversified portfolio here in the middle of the uh, month or getting toward the mm-hmm. middle of the yeah. month. And, um you know, it looks like it could continue. There's some positive things out there. In fact, um, there's a possible $2 trillion boost to the market. So we're going to talk about that. It's an article from Business Insider. And, um, you know, there's a lot of money that could potentially move into the market for a couple of different reasons. It's exciting. Yeah, it's a positive, certainly a positive story. And uh, we're also going to talk about um, retirement and what the fears are people out there? This comes from uh, Bankrate.com, and um, you know one of the biggest fears is um, is medical expenses. So we're going to yes. dive into that and kind of talk about some solutions as well. If you have some of these fears, so that's a good uh, good way to close the show today. Yeah, that'll be a great topic. Okay, but we're going to start off here with the financial facts of the week. And this comes from the CME Group, and it's just talking about the price of oil. 2016 was a pretty interesting year from an oil standpoint. It ended up closing about 45% higher, or about 50 $3 a barrel, but it's still significantly lower than it was back in 2014, Steve. It was like $107 uh, back in wow. 2014. So it did make yeah. a, a pretty significant jump in 2016. Who knows what's going to happen in 2017. But that fact that it increased is helping oil companies. Absolutely. And some of the earnings you know, <clears throat> starting to turn and be a little bit more positive. Yeah, and we've talked about that some in the past. But, yeah, I mean, oil companies, their earnings were down like 73%. Back in 2015, you know, that has turned some here in 2016. It's turning big in 2017 and uh, is projected to be a big factor. And oil prices, of course, are the reason. It's amazing. Here back in 2007, I believe it was, oil prices topped at like $147 Mm -hmm. a barrel. Yeah, that's right. It's right in that range. And, uh, you know, here we are. Even after this big increase, it's still a third of it. Oh, that. I know. It's, isn't that amazing? It's just amazing how volatile it is and how things can change. And it just shows you that, that things can change in the market, any market, very, very quickly. And no one can predict it. Nobody no one has predicted predict these moves up and down. I mean, we've seen predictions on oil from from billionaires that are in the oil industry that they get it wrong. So exactly. don't make decisions based on these headlines. Yeah, that's exactly right. So great fact of the week, though. All right, that leads up to our first topic here, and that is the $2 trillion boost to the stock market. Um, possibly. Possibly, yeah. It's a, it's a it's an interesting concept here, and it comes from Business Insider. Very recent article here, Tina Wadha, Wadha, they always have names I can't pronounce. Anyway, but, you know, as most investors know, I mean, interest rates are headed higher as the Fed continues to slowly raise rates. So what does that mean for your investments and for your portfolio going forward? Well, I mean, there are some possible 
very good effects that we're going we've alluded to here from rising rates, but there's also some possible negative effects with your investments. So first, let's take a look at some of the obvious negative effects. Um, rising rates can be a drag on stocks as companies face higher financing costs. There are some sectors, we've talked about this before, that can be hit particularly hard by rising rates, like utilities and real estate investment trusts, which tend to be highly leveraged. Um, utility companies, for instance, they issue bonds routinely to pay for expensive infrastructure and power plants. Um, and as those bonds mature, they have to refinance them at higher rates, which can directly and very significantly affect their bottom line. By the same token, real estate investment trusts typically hold mortgages on the properties, which mature at different intervals. In a diversified REIT, they have maturities coming due each year, and those have to be renegotiated with banks at a higher cost when rates are rising as mm -hmm. they are now. So, you know, there's a couple of possible examples of how uh, rising rates can hurt the stock market. Yeah, and on the flip side, Steve, there there are some positive um, uh, impacts on certain sectors like financial stocks. I mean, if you look at rising rates, it allows banks to make more money on deposits, and they can increase the spread between you know what they pay you in interest, and then also on your deposits. And uh, they can also you know obviously increase and make more money on um, what they charge customers for loans. Um, or, or they make overnight deposits in themselves. So, you know, another positive is that the fixed income piece of your portfolio, you know, will likely start yielding more as the rates rise. So bonds and money market accounts, they'll certainly start paying higher interest over time. And, of course, it takes a while for the for the rates um, to, to increase. We're not talking about this, you know, being, you know, 5% by the end of the year, but right. they're making, you know, small incremental changes, and they'll add up over time. That's right. So those are, those are a couple, you know, effects from rising interest rates. But here's the big possibility for rising rates to help your portfolio, and that is a significant rotation out of bonds into stocks as intermediate longer maturities start to feel some pain from lower bond prices. Um, you see a huge amount of investment dollars have flowed out of equities into bonds over the past decade. But according to a note um, published by the Society General Cross Asset Research Team recently, this de-equitization, what they're calling it, <coughs> trend has slowly been reversing, and a significant portfolio rebalancing may be in the cards. Um, that could lead to a flood of money, potentially as much as $2.3 trillion. That's a lot of money. Mm, yeah. yeah, moving at, into the stock market from bond funds or from mutual funds from the bond side of the equation. The percentage of equities in mutual fund portfolios, both active and passive funds, has fallen from about 90%, you know, back a few years ago, 10 years ago, to about 60% in the past 10 years in Europe and from about 90% to around 70% in U.S. funds, according to their recent note. So, you know, meanwhile, uh, bond and credit component of portfolios had strongly increased. Over the same period, the bond component of European mutual fund portfolios has increased from about 4% 10 years ago to about 40% currently, which is huge. Yeah, that is a big number. It really is. And then the corporate <coughs> bond component has increased from about 3.1% in 2007 to 5.2% in the U.S., um, and then uh, 
you know, about 4.1% in 2009 to 15% in Europe hmm. uh, since then. So, you know, there's been a huge trend of money going into bond funds from stock funds over the past 10 years. But there's some indication that may be reversed. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, this trend of uh, de-equitization um, in favor of bonds over the last, you know, 10 years has been linked to the interest rate environment. Uh, and the reason is, is bond yields and prices are inversely related. So as, as bond yields have fallen, bond prices have increased. And, um, you know, as as long as the bond yields continue to fall, like they have historically in the, well, the last, you know, 10 to 20 years, investors generated capital gains on their bond portfolios. However, you know, the bond yields are starting to rise again. So investors are beginning to rethink some of their strategies. I mean, this reversal is always under, already underway. It's obviously in the beginning stages. Um, during most of 2016, net inflows into bond funds did remain strong, especially in the U.S. and in emerging markets. But, you know, net inflows into equities, they really started to improve towards the end of 2016. So we start to see we're at the beginning phases, uh, potentially, of this, this large transition. Yeah question is it will it continue you know but most investors have only just started to adapt to you know the structure of their portfolios they're saying here you know in most instances truly bold brave decisions that potentially concern all the portfolio components have still yet to be taken according to society general estimates that a 10 percent reweighting toward equities would imply a global portfolio reshuffle of about 2.3 trillion dollars <laughs> into stocks so that would be huge um yeah bank of america merrill lynch they wrote recently about a violent rotation taking place in the markets back in november when investors pulled money out of bond funds and put it into equity funds at an unprecedented rate post the election. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was a big move. Yeah, and they probably missed quite a bit of the, yeah, of the run-up. It happened pretty quick. And um, Goldman Sachs chief U.S. Uh, equity strategist David Costin, he has a little different view. He said in a recent note, he said that investors were not giving up on fixed income just yet. Asset migration will not occur for two key reasons, he said. First, funds must be sourced from one area before they can be reinvested in another. Uh, second, he said regulatory and policy restrictions limit the ability of many categories of investors to allocate assets away from bonds. So he's probably talking about pensions and, right. and things like that, institutional Maybe type so. funds. But <clears throat> points you know. out the uncertainty of all of it. Sure, right. No one truly knows. Yeah, that's the key here. Um, I mean, it's a great possibility and, and gives us reason to be a lot very optimistic. But of course, no one knows the real effect. Uh, that it will have on the stock market from rising rates. So you have to stay diversified in a portfolio that meets your needs and your risk tolerance level. Um, you know, we've seen markets do well in rising rate environments like 2003 through 2006. But then we've seen times where market didn't do so well, like back in 1994. Um, however, you know, we can certainly be optimistic that there may be a rotation from bonds back into stocks. Um, which will boost the stock prices going forward. I mean, it's amazing how much money there is out there on the sidelines sitting in cash and in bonds that could potentially come back in the market mm -hmm. you know, if the winds really do change in a big way. Um, perhaps we're on the cusp of a big move. You know, here's yep. hoping. Right, right. Yeah. You, you've been hoping for a national title for about 35 we, years. We so. have, and we finally <laughs> got it. So, hey, this could be the year for all these things. The, the stars are aligning, <laughs> That's right. as they say. <laughs> 
All right, great topic. But that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this is um, how do I calculate my net worth? And Steve, you know, we talk with our clients on different strategies, whether it be budgeting or obviously investments, planning, and so forth. But one of the things I like to to recommend is people sit down and and do a net worth statement once a year. Um, Sometimes when you're you're paying off debt and you're putting money in investments and you got college and everything, you kind of lose track that you – of your progress. And so if you put it on paper once a year, it'll help you kind of see from year to year how you're progressing. And um, so the net worth is just calculated. You put all your assets, so your checking account and savings accounts and IRAs. Um, You can put your cars and houses on there as well. Um, That's an asset. And then you put your liabilities, which is your debt level. Exactly. And then assets minus liabilities equal your net worth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have a spreadsheet like that that I update every every, uh, year. And uh, just updated it here recently, you know, with the year-end numbers. But it has all the account numbers. So it's mm-hmm. also my spreadsheet to yep. kind of, you know, ha- have an asset inventory for for my wife, mm-hmm. you know, and for both of us in the event that, you know, we can refer to it. We know where everything is. We have our account numbers, the company name and whose name it's in and all that information yep. right there on one page. And, uh, and then we update the values, and it's kind of a net worth statement. So if we ever needed to go get, you know, credit, um, we can pull that statement and take it to the bank and, you know, try if we're trying to get a loan or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's a quick reference guide, and I would recommend everybody have that. Yes. You know, and just update it. And it's interesting information to kind of know where you stand. You and this know? is the time of year to do it. You know, it's at the uh, beginning of a new year. You can look back on 2016 and and exactly. start tracking your progress. Exactly. you got to know where you stand in the ball game. John, I mean, John, you got to know, you gotta you know have a what the score is. You got to have a score, and you know, you got to have information for your coaches. And you know, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to divert into a, a, another <laughs> football analogy, again. but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea, though. Great question of the week. All right, that leads up to our next topic here, and that is um, retirement fears. You know, what are your biggest retirement fears? Yeah, and you know the number one um, item on the list, Steve, is um, for retirement is medical expenses. I mean, a lot of people, twenty eight percent, yep, twenty eight percent said that they uh, are most worried about medical expenses, and that's according to a new survey by uh, Bankrate dot com. And uh, following pretty closely to that is the thought of running out of money. So twenty three percent said running out of money uh, was their biggest. Um, uh, you know, worry and and you can reasonably budget for living expenses, but longevity and healthcare costs—they really are wild cards. Yes. Uh, you know, you're going to live to to eighty or ninety or a hundred, and and so that's where people are scared. Um, you know, fretting about medical expenses in old age, it may be justified. I mean, a couple who retired just a couple of years ago in 2014 would need about two hundred twenty thousand dollars to cover healthcare costs in retirement. That's a big number. That's a huge number. I've seen that before. And yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's probably true when you start adding long-term yeah. care into sure. the picture. That's right. So yeah. And, and among people over the age of, of 50, one third are anxious about expensive illnesses or injuries. And just over a quarter of people from 30 to 49 are, are, are worried as well. So obviously as you get older, you know, above 50, 60, and so forth, you start being concerned about the medical because you're seeing your costs go up, even at that point. It's remarkable how much it's going up. And, and they're saying here, that, you know, that's what's worrying Americans now that they have them very concerned is they're paying more for health care costs. I mean, people are realizing, wow, you know, I can have a that can have a big impact on my budget. I mean, as an example, Kathy and the girls, um, you know, my Kathy and our two girls, 
their high deductible medical plan just doubled last year from $600 a month to $1,200 a month. And that's like a $5,000 deductible plan. It's a very, you know, huge deductible plan. So what's it going to be next year? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, well, if it's $2,400 a month next year, if it doubles again, we're just going to take our chances. I mean, we have to just pay the penalty. I mean, it's not worth that kind of money every year to cover the normal stuff that you would expect to have. So I don't know. It's just crazy. And so one of the causes of running out of money could be high health care costs. And particularly worrisome is the cost of this debilitating injury or illness, you know, that requires a nursing home stay for elderly folks. I mean, that's uh, that's what they say is the real uh, concern out there is long-term care. Mm-hmm. You know, nursing home stay runs like $90,000 a year now yeah, on average. Right. So it's a well, big expense. Yeah, and there is Medicaid to fall back on, but Medicaid doesn't kick in until you have no money is what it boils down to. That's so right. yeah, Medicaid is not going to provide the lifestyle anyone would necessarily pick at, at first choice. So, you know, and, and there are some strategies to, to try to utilize Medicaid and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, saving and having a plan and having long-term care insurance is, is a better option at this point for most people. Um, so certainly medical costs are, are people are scared. It's interesting though, Steve, millennials, they fear different outcomes, which does not real surprising people ages 18 to 29 were half as likely to cite high medical cost as their primary concern. Um, yep. you know, so someone over 65 is obviously in that, that, uh, that game. On the other hand, younger people were twice as likely to say they fear running out of money in retirement, um, versus those over 65. So, okay. you know, they're, they're thinking a little bit in the future. Um, one thing that was, uh, encouraging when you look at people over 65 is relatively few were concerned that their savings would run out. They think they've accumulated enough, uh, with a combination of social security that they would be okay. And that kind of surprises me a little bit. I mean, we look at the retirement stats and studies and, yeah. um, we, we see some people that have saved well, and we see other people that are struggling, um, and Social Security is their only form of um, of income. But, you know, exactly. people far removed from the retirement age, they can't really predict how much they'll, they'll need um, or, you know, save or what the state of the retirement system is going to be. So, um, you know, they do have a fear of running out of money when you're younger at this point. They don't believe in Social Security, for instance. Yeah, it's the unknown that's always scary. <clears throat> I mean, everybody's scared of the unknown and things that are a big factor in your future. I mean, people approaching retirement, they have a lot more anxiety about, you know, retiring and how that will impact their standard of living and, and you know, their retirement, just living in general, paying for medical costs and all those things. <clears throat> but then 25-year-olds, they're oblivious to the risk and the opportunities that are going to be out there when they're age 70. So mm-hmm. naturally, they aren't concerned about those things. So it's just a factor of what's important to you today. Yep. And... You know, the uncertainty about that is typically your biggest concern. That's right. That's right. It also goes on to, to talk about why people don't save more for money. And it's it's easy to understand why people worry about retirement. I mean, less than half of working age Americans even have a retirement account. And that's according to um, the Federal Reserve uh, survey that they had done recently. Most of the respondents to the bank rate survey say current responsibilities are a big impediment to saving more for retirement. I mean, they cite day-to-day expenses, family obligations, student loan debt as their main obstacles to saving in the future. And, and nearly one in five respondents uh, between 18 and 29 years old said they're too swamped with student loans to be able to save for retirement. And 
Um, this one gentleman says that may not be a bad thing, which I'm not so sure. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure where he's coming from with this, but I don't I'll know. let you explain his rationale there. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with him either, you know, but he says for people under age 35 or even 40, he says it may not be rational for them to be saving for retirement at that stage. For some of them, um, it is, but for a lot of them, he says, you know, there are other targets out there for savings that are more important in the short run. For example, he says, you know, your investment in yourself, in your schooling or your training is going to make a bigger difference to your well-being over the remainder of your life than what you save in your retirement account. And I guess I could see his point. You know, education is certainly important and you know, you got to get an education, so you'd never suggest that a 20-year-old save for retirement and forego their education. Sure, sure. But at the same time, he's talking about 35 to 40-year-olds here. And, you know, if you haven't started saving for retirement when you're 35 or 40, yeah. you're, you're a little bit late in the game You're here. behind you, them. You better get on the, get on the ball, and you got to get realistic, I think, about your career at that point, too. You know, are you really going to go back to school? You know, what are you spending money for? And so... Nah, I think there's got to be a balance here. I don't totally agree with what he's saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, early on you should certainly um, be going to school and getting an education, but you also have the compound interest factor in your favor exactly. at that point. Exactly. So, um, there, so there's certainly a balance there. Um, you know, another interesting thing, Steve, is people say they're concerned about Social Security completely disappearing. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, nearly a quarter of those surveyed said they don't expect to receive any money, zero from Social Security. Practically no one over 65 holds that belief because, you know, they're most of them are getting it right now. And, uh, only three in 10 people under the age of 50 believe Social Security will run dry by the time they file for benefits. So, you know, younger people are, are very likely to say they don't think Social Security will be around when they get that old. Um, so that's not really the case. They'll, you know, the benefits probably will be reduced to some degree, but Social Security is very unlikely to just vanish. And there'll be means testing, you know, which there is now, quite frankly. I mean, because uh, through Medicare, uh, there's means testing. You know, if you make higher income, you pay like triple or even four times the amount for Medicare Part B, B premiums, which everybody has to get. So, you know, and that comes right out of your Social Security benefit. Mm -hmm. So it's a form of means testing for Social Security is what it boils down to um, and for Medicare, of course. But, yeah, I mean, it it plays a vital role in providing retirees with income. Social Security is very important. In 2011, among those over age 65, 87% of married couples and 85% of singles received money from Social Security benefits. And those benefits represented at least 50% of the income for 52% of the couples and 74% of the singles. So for over half, it represented 50% of their income. Yeah, that's a big number. That's a big number. Obviously, Social Security is very, very important to the majority of older Americans. I mean, the simple fact is that once people get age 65, certainly once they get past age 70, the overwhelming majority of Americans collect Social Security and that Social Security check constitutes the single largest element of the retirement income, they're saying. So there is no question that it's a critical component for older Americans, and we have to protect it because it's going to continue to be that. Yeah, that's right. And it's hard to imagine a political reality that would deny benefits to people who have paid into Social Security throughout their entire careers. So, you know, strengthening the system wouldn't necessarily require a major overhaul. Um, according to experts, they could um, do a couple of changes to, to actually get it on course. And, and we've seen some of that. I mean, you change 
um, you know, the age that you're taking it or maybe the full retirement age, you tweak some of those those factors and it can make the plan whole again. It makes a big difference. It really does. So that's right. All they have to do, they did it back in the 80s where they raised the retirement date, you know, from 65 to 67 mm-hmm. for people that are our age and – that's likely uh, what they'll do again. That's probably what they're going to have to do again. They're probably going to have to raise it to 69. It actually would be a very easy answer, be very positive, and it would uh, allay a lot of people's fears. Yeah, you know? just, just phase it in, you know, for younger folks below 50 to raise it gradually like they did before up to age 69. And I think that that alone probably makes it whole. I don't know. It certainly would stretch it out a long time. So there are fixes out there. Somebody's just got to have the guts to do it. And I'm hoping the Republicans will tackle that. But, of course, there are a couple other bigger things yeah. on the agenda yeah. at the moment. So I, 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 I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> All right. That leads up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yes, Steve, it seems like um, you know at least once every two weeks uh, we get an email or a, com- a call from a client saying, hey, you know, something's happened to my uh, my ID or you know, there's some concern that they've had um, their identification stolen or whatever. And so, you know, one of the steps that we all ought to be doing is looking at your, your credit report. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's no foolproof way to protect your identification. There's just not. There's services out there that can monitor it. But you can do this. You can go to annualcreditreport.com and uh, print those out, look and see what's open, seeing if there's been any kind of activity on there that you're not familiar with. It's a great time to close out old credit cards. There may be a... Um, some some uh, item on there that shouldn't have been on there that you can work on getting it off, but it's just a good annual um, you know uh, process to do, kind of like the net worth statement exactly uh, that you had to be looking at. Yeah, and I suggest people actually do it at intervals throughout the year. You, there's three credit mm-hmm. reporting mm-hmm. bureaus that you can go through, right? Equifax, TransUnion, and whatever the other one is. And so you can do each one, you know, in intervals. So you could do it every four months, do one or the other. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of looking yeah. at it all throughout the year. You don't have to do it all at one time. Um, but, yeah, you can get your free credit report right there at annualcreditreport.com. We definitely recommend people take a look at that make sure something's not going awry or somebody hadn't stole your identity or there's something wrong that's reported on your credit report. So great prescription of the week. Okay, that brings us to the close of this week's edition of Money MD. We want to say congratulations to the Tigers once again and all you Clemson <laughs> nice fans time. out there. <laughs> this is uh, the last time we're talking football. Hats off to that. <laughs> we'll try not to drag on with this too long. But tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-739. 0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.